This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Trader, trade, trader, Cobb Crypto Podcast. Podcast. This is the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. Today, my guest is Crypto Royalty. I have got none other than Stephen Shewell here, who is the or was the CCO of Ethereum, the founder of Atlas uh, Nuya, if I've got that Nui-ya, right, and yeah. also <laughs> the CCO and founder of Slock.i. It's an absolute honor and a privilege to have the man on the show. Thank you so much for being on the Crypto Show with me, mate. No, thank you so much. Cheers. Yeah, so look, obviously there's so much of us to talk about, and I, I really want to get to talking about the current projects that you're mm-hmm. working on, yeah. but more importantly, look, I've got you on the show. I have to ask about some things with Ethereum. My first question to you is, is this. You're probably sick to death of answering these questions, but I've got to do it. Understand I have to go there. <laughs> when you started working on Ethereum and it all kicked off, mate, I mean, mm. can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how it started and yeah. what you guys were setting out to achieve and what the vibe was like? I mean, it's so yeah. interesting. Yeah, actually, that was a, that's really good memories for me because I was, um, at the time, um, I had just left Visa, which is, a, you know, a good company, but a very corporate environment with limited mm room for innovation and and certainly nothing as exciting as ethereum and and i had a you know i had in mind that i wanted to get into crypto but not from the speculative aspect but more from the um autonomous machines aspect which is something that mike hearn the the you know former bitcoin advocate uh was really big on and i had seen him at the turing uh festival in vienna back in 2013 talking about how bitcoin be used to automate machines you know if you have a self-driving car it's not an autonomous car until it can pay for its own parking its own electricity its own toll roads and so on um and i thought that was fascinating but bitcoin was fairly limited you know in terms of programming language to make that happen and to really open um, open up a, a new machine economy um, and obviously Ethereum solved all that so when I received the, the white paper from Vitalik Buterin I did everything in my power to attract their attention I suppose um, I started a, a little blog um, it was very popular I was the first one to compile the Geth client um, which definitely uh, caught uh, Jeffrey Wilkie the, the lead Go programmer there's attention and they offered me a job and I joined immediately. And the rest was I was really pleased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I really loved it. I mean, if you want to know about the, the vibe, I think uh, very early on it, it was truly wonderful. I, I felt like you know I was in heaven, truly like the geek heaven. You know where we had this uh, this uh, well, you know, modest but fairly large home in in Switzerland. And um, it was really whoever was interested in working on a project, Vitalik would welcome with open arm and. Um, ensure that you know we were all working on something that we we're very passionate about and that was really unique and special mate i i, I can i the little images of the show silicon valley creep into my mind was there anything like that or am i off my head <laughs> no i think it was much more at the very beginning certainly much more um geeky uh there was no uh, as far as I remember, there was no sort of, you know, money talks or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I think if you know Vitalik or if you talk to him or if you've seen him, you'll very quickly realize that he's not motivated by, by money. And I think that's yeah. a good thing because it sort of maybe cascaded throughout the team. Now, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I think, you know, obviously every member of the team was fairly different. They all came from different angles, different backgrounds, different countries, different motivations. But all in all, there was this notion that we were doing, you know, what was right for Ethereum first and foremost. And that was really important. I really enjoyed that. And, I mean, look, back then when you were raising for Ethereum, I mean, was it mm-hmm. $18.9 million that you raised? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, in the end it was, uh, yeah, it was 18.9, yeah. 
what, I mean, obviously now there's the ICO mania. Mm. It's uh, yeah. sort of end of 2017, start of 2018. It's just become <laughs> cascade of, of ICOs. Very difficult to, to differentiate. There's obviously some phenomenal projects out there, but it's becoming more and more difficult to find those projects. And mm. to be fair, I think it's a really good thing that the projects have had to step up and, yeah. and produce and provide the general public and the, the crypto community and investment folk with a little bit more uh, understanding for what's actually going on rather than just throwing together a bit of, oh, yeah, we're just going to put this on the blockchain, therefore it's good. When you were raising back with for Ethereum, what was the general feel around uh, ICOs and raising capital? I would imagine it would be very different. $18.9 million, it's no slouch. It's no slouch. No, it was the third largest, as far as I remember, it was the third largest uh sort of, if you will, crowdfunding exercise at the time in the world, right? I think the first one was wow. uh, Space Citizen and the second one was the coolest cooler, if I'm not mistaken, um, <laughs> Kickstarter project. Uh, but in any case, yeah, I mean, it was completely different. It was completely different. Um, there was, uh, there's always been a sense that uh, the, I mean, at least as far as I'm concerned, there was a notion that this, um, this token sale for Ethereum was a necessary not necessarily evil, it's a bit too strong of a word, but there was a sense that it had to be done in order to kickstart the pump, if you will. But really, the idea would be to have then in the future completely decentralized ex uh, fund fundraising exercises. Um, and that was very close and dear to my heart. And, and to Gavin Wood as well, who's been uh, uh, very instrumental in the in the creation of this concept of so-called Web3, you know, the next web, a decentralized yeah. web where you have a decentralized file, file storage, decentralized backend, which is your blockchain, which now replaces, say, your middleware and a decentralized front end. We haven't had have that yet. By the way, everyone talks about dApps. No one is truly decentralized. They're just operating on websites. Um, the stuff that Gavin and, and Jeffrey and their team, I should say as well, because obviously they were not alone, had built, uh, enabled us to have little packages of code, if you will, that would be sent across a BitTorrent-like network, in this case, Swarm, uh, created by Victor Tron and team. Um, and for these applications to therefore become unstoppable, because once the packages are distributed around the world, you can't call them back, if you will, you can't stop them, you can't censor them. They operate against the blockchain, Dito, you can't stop it, um, and it can be in any country. So that, that's where this idea of unstoppable application came from. Uh, but we we aren't there yet. I think that's the interesting point. Certainly something to ponder on is that we're in 2018 and it's been four years and we're still not there. So it's very early days, I think, for blockchain and for Ethereum, for that matter. Yeah, well, that's uh, thanks for that. I mean, look, that's, that's something that everybody wants to hear. And uh, I mean, you will know uh, more than most that uh, this space is an extraordinarily emotional space. It's, uh, it's mm. filled with people that, uh, look, a lot of people are not in the same sort of position with you in the same sort of conviction because they're not at the coal face. They're not creating, mm. not developing. A lot of people that are in crypto are just throwing some money in and they work alongside their day-to-day -day job. And, and that's fantastic. And what an opportunity that they, we've all been presented. I mean, bravo to people mm. like yourself, the team, and Vitalik and everybody that's involved. I mean, it, it really is an interesting time to be alive. Again, the people, I think the, the reason we see there's such big fluctuations is the lack of emotional control, the lack mm. of conviction when people buy. If we look at institutions, for example, I mean, to, to, to coin Warren Buffett, I mean, when he makes a decision, no one's mm. going to change his mind. There is not yeah. a goddamn thing in this planet that will change his mind because he knows that he knows what he's doing. Now, in this space, we've still got it, so, as you say, so young that so many people, even the ones that have been there for years that have, that have been reading the white papers and learning about the tech, I mean, these guys have a better handle on things, but we still see. I mean, when I was researching yourself for tonight's show, mm -hmm. going through and reading some of the Reddit posts that back in 2016, talking about what Ethereum was and how it was going to disappear and how it's just a load of rubbish. Yeah, it's I mean, a scam, isn't it? It's a, yeah. it's a, I mean, you know, you know it, was, it was horrible. That was the bad part. I mentioned the good part. Yeah. That was the bad part. I, I come from a traditional, well, environment, I think, like what, you know, 99.9% .9 of the population, which is, you know, I had a day job, it pays the bill, I'm happy to pay the rent, right? And yeah. in that job, never, ever would you ever be in a position where you would get death threats. You know, that would be if you wow. were to get a death threat at Visa, which, you know, Visa would send the cops after you, simple as that, right? Um, but not in crypto, does it? And and when, when we launched Ethereum, it was really vicious, very, very vicious. Um, I mean, first of all, the personal attacks, I suppose, all right, fair enough. I can live with that. You know, how is your face looking like today when they paint over it and, and whatnot or making fun of Vitalik's physical appearance and so on and so forth, right? 
that I can live with that, but it's the more nasty stuff, like the, uh, you know, the, the, the serious death threats, the, the um, you know, I'm not going to say it on air because it's very vulgar, but, you know, homophobic attack at times and, and saying we're going to come to your house and kick your head in and things like that, you know, just because we dared to dream that there could be something better than Bitcoin, right? <laughs> and, oh, and that was geez. not acceptable because, you know, they're, they're so... I say they're so attached to their currency because that's where yeah. all their money is, right? And that that may be the problem, I think, in, of incentivization mechanism on on blockchains in general. It's the fact that yeah, they're great. Of course, they keep us safe. It works. We know Bitcoin is very safe. We know Ethereum is very safe. It's been safe for nine years in the case of Bitcoin. At the same time, obviously, every time you give someone a Bitcoin, they become a, an advocate, and some people take that role a little bit too far, you know. Um, and you know, maximalism um, is really unhealthy. Uh, it, it prevents you know. Innovation, and it's an environment in which you know some people don't want to work in. I, I know a lot of people in the last year or so. Now that things have died down a bit, and Ethereum has launched, and yeah, it's not a scam. <laughs> um, sure. People have left the scene. You know, they just went to work for normal companies because they had enough of the of the emotion, the drama, and you know the childish behavior online and offline. It, it's uh, it's an acquired taste, and I, I really do hope that it changes soon because it needs to change, or else we'll never ever be taken seriously. Because you know, external observers that work for larger corporates or institutions that may want to look into these technologies, or even companies like I don't know Microsoft, Google, Amazon, that may want to put money or invest and build on top of these technologies, they're not going to touch it if as soon as they go on a forum. You know, it's it's playground time, right? Absolutely. So we have to Absolutely. we have to grow up a lot. Mate, I, I never never thought of that side of it, and uh, look, even more credit to you guys for uh, pushing on and creating something that's truly amazing, and I believe world changing. I mean, we've got this opportunity now as a generation. Uh, I do want to say generation. I know there's a lot of different uh, generations that are involved in the space, but a lot of millennials are, are taking way, taking heed of this. And I mean, the the lack of understanding, the immaturity, the hiding behind these personas online, all of this mm -hmm. needs to change. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, I see myself and people such as yourself, mate, we have a voice. It's it's up to us to a certain context to, to try and help understand uh, and, and help the under, sorry, help the people to understand right. that it's if we want to see development within this space if we want to see you know, if you want to have your lambos and go to them all that rubbish that people have, that, that's okay i'm cool with that you know whatever floats your boat but we've got to understand that the only way we're going to take this to a four trillion dollar three trillion dollar even one trillion dollar right. market cap which is what people naturally want people yeah. people say oh we want it for this that and the other but they also want it for making money i mean that the bottom line is people we can change the world but if we can also make a buck doing it hey even Why better not? So exactly, why not work together to get there? And I, I, I do. It frustrates me so much, Stefan, to see people out there that are that are major influencers in this space, and they're mm. using their voices to do all sorts of silly, silly things. Yep. Now, you look at it and go, you have a voice here. You could be doing good with that voice, but yep. instead you're so far up your own backside running around <laughs> shouting how great you are that you're yep. missing the point. You're missing the opportunity and you're costing this market development and growth. And it, like, you can hear the passion in my voice, right? It, it really <laughs> frustrates me, man. Like, this is some of the reason why I do this. You know, it, it's to help to help. It's to help give people an understanding from a mature point of view. And that's why I like to have guests like you on because you give us perspective to what the space is, not what it is not. This is not a boys club. This is not a conversation about, you know, fast cars and and all sorts of bits and pieces no, that are offensive no. to us. Well, it certainly didn't start as such. I mean, like, for for me and for the core team, I would say the so-called eight founders of Ethereum, right, 10 now, I suppose, is, uh, the number isn't clear. But in any case, the first, you know, say 10, 12 people at Ethereum, it was, it was very obvious that it was about um, this concept of being able to have a third way. So, you know, you have, uh, if you're not happy with a particular economic, political, or any given system, right? Whether it's maybe the usage of sharing economy platforms, for example, like Airbnb, or or whether it's uh, the voting mechanism in your country, or whatever, uh, you have. You know, right now, two choices. You can fight it, meaning usually throwing bricks into windows that has limited <laughs> impact, or you can leave, right? You go to another country where you don't have those issues. You go shop in a different supermarket. You go use a different website. With Ethereum, the cool thing is that you can create your own models. You can experiment with models as well. So not only you're, you're, you could create something that then goes to production and people use, but you could 
also just experiment. And Vitalik and, and Vlad Zemfir in particular have always been very keen on that. The idea to, to always experiment, to always try out new things. What if, what if, you know, um, try new governance model that never were never tried before, like say Futurki, for example, and, and do, deploy it seriously. Um, try new economic models that we haven't thought about, you know, that transcends this sort of silly left-right divide, which makes absolutely no sense, by the way, um, and, and is very limiting um, on a political spectrum. Um, that's what Ethereum was created to build, to build apps that would leverage this. And there is a very good talk, and I encourage your listener to go and watch it. I think it's... Um, Vitalik, uh, if you type Vitalik Ethereum London meetup, uh, you'll find that he, Vitalik came over to speak at my meetup about two years ago. Um, and during that presentation, he states that there is no killer app on Ethereum. There is none. So everyone trying to build one, they're wasting their time. <laughs> the, the inventor himself, the guy who came up with the whole thing, said there was none. Instead, what there is is killer infrastructures. So you have you know, the, the infrastructures of the 20th century, which is gas, water, electricity. That stuff belongs in the public domain to a certain extent, or we're starting to think that it should, like everyone should have equal access to the internet, or else we're going to have a serious issue around access to technology, access to education, access to finance, and so on. Well, similarly, why is, you know, why is sharing economy, why is identity, reputation, these are the the 21st century utilities, and that should really be under the control of the public, or I should say under the control of the people who make use of said platform. So ultimately, to quote uh, this time Gavin, who, who came up with the whole Web3 stuff, uh, you know, Ethereum is a, what he calls a singleton at scale, but his simpler word would be to call it a big computer in the cloud, but a real cloud, you know, not the cloud that's owned by Amazon and they can turn anything off and on as they wish, or maybe even imposed, God forbid, by, you know, their own government that they have to you know, follow the, the jurisdictions of. Um, uh, a real cloud where people only pay for what they use, um, that's what Ethereum is all about. It's, it's about giving everyone access to a giant computer that's always right and always tells the truth. And that's really special and unique. And, and to be honest, the whole ICO thing, you touched on it. I, I mean, as much as some of them are really good and, and, and very interesting, I'm sure, and great teams, but the reality is I haven't really seen anything on that magnitude yet. Uh, this, it still has to be built. Yeah. Well, that's like, I mean, that's why Ethereum is number two market cap. I mean, you guys did such a great job <laughs> that um, it continues to roll on. I mean, the market cap is just insane. And the good thing is, I mean, I speak to a lot of people about um, about Ethereum because obviously, you know, I do invest in the, in the space. I'm a trader in the space. I'm an investor in the space. And Ethereum, I, I do hold, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of my portfolio is Ethereum um, because I just don't believe that you've actually – they, because uh, I know you're no longer within that active team, but that you, right. you are there with the vision at the beginning. That I, I just don't see that they've actually accomplished what they are setting out to achieve, which is super yep. bloody exciting for me. Super exciting, yep. and it's a used product, and I think that's that's really, really, really exciting. So, I mean, look, we could we could stay on Ethereum and talk about it all night long. Now, I want to go into some of the other things that you've done because you didn't just stop at Ethereum. You yeah. started at Ethereum, and since there, you've gone on to bigger and potentially better things as far as uh, offering opportunities. Now, the first one I want to talk about is uh, Slock.it. Yep. Now, one, one thing I want to uh, touch on there is one thing that got me, right, it, as I was reading through the literature there, and I'm just talking about visiting the website, just going through and getting a bit of a feel for, for me interviewing you, obviously, I've got to do a little bit of research on you. Mm -hmm. um, there's one line there, and it says, basically, the millennials' philosophy is fast becoming, if you can rent it, why own it? Now, I'm a big right. investor in products that are there to facilitate the millennials' needs going forward. Now, I'm, I'm not a millennial. I'm 34 years old, so I'm just outside of that box, I believe. But they are a huge amount of people. They've got access to online content. They're fairly smart. They know how to vote. Mm -hmm. And they are growing very, very quickly. Now, are you mm. in this .it program, in, the, in this business that you've created there, are you – basically targeting that exact market or is it just happens to be that it fits that demographic well i think it just happens to be <laughs> yeah it just happens to be to be honest um there was no uh you know plan to target any particular demographics it's only at the beginning um so uh yeah i mean the the, the real purpose of slocket um at least as i as i left it and as i built it was to essentially um, remove the middlemen. Sorry about the background noise. Remove the middlemen um, as part of um, the uh, rental of objects, or I should say the ownership of objects. So if you wanted to a little bit more get into the little 
technical nitty gritty at high level. Um, you know, smart uh, people listening to your podcast probably know about smart contracts. They know that smart contracts are essentially pieces of code stored procedures for the programmers out there that live on the blockchain and cannot be changed, potentially if you've programmed them in that particular way, cannot be changed by, by humans, right? At that point, they become sort of autonomous on the blockchain. They become entities. In fact, if you look at the code base, they will be entities at the same level in terms of priority and importance as human beings. They have their own wallet, they can sign transactions, and so on and so forth. So they're really important. They're almost like weak AIs, if you will. So the idea of Slocket is simply to match a smart contract unique identifier to a physical object unique identifier. Now, physical objects tend to have unique identifier, you know, serial numbers, or you can have like a, a little chip that would like an RFID chip that just says my number is X. And that number is always unique because it's been created. So at factory, for example, um, and so by marrying the two, you essentially give inanimate objects the capability to run code, the capability to send and receive transactions, and and oversee the, the, the capability to, le to leverage everything that the blockchain can do in the physical world. And that's really, really important, in my opinion. That might be, you know, a little bit, so, might sound a little bit futuristic, but I don't think it's that futuristic. As I said earlier, if you have, you know, the, the, the so-called autonomous cars in, in California that drive themselves around Palo Alto all the time now, um, they're going to need to be able to pay for their electricity. They're going to need to be able to pay for the toll road or else they, they're useless because essentially yeah. a human would have to constantly press, you know, with a credit card constantly. Oh, yeah, I need to buy gas. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, they need to have a wallet to hold that money. Now, obviously, you could... You know, it's all turtles all the way down here. So you could argue that the, the machines own themselves ultimately. That's a little bit more far-fetched. I know Bill Gates has touched on that. And it's maybe not that far-fetched. Um, maybe it's 50 years down the line. But it's certainly not two years down the line. Now, two years down the line, I think it's going to have more impact around rentals, for example. So why why pay Airbnb a, a commission fee when you could just rent your apartment directly to others and have an auto-discovery mechanism? Because, hey, it's all on the blockchain. Everyone shares that database. Everyone has yeah. full access to it. Or, or sharing your reputation between systems. You know, if you're if you have a great credit history with Barclays, let's say they use the blockchain to do credit ratings um, anonymously or pseudonymously, and then eBay on the blockchain would have a reputation system. Why isn't that reputation sort of helping towards your, you know, sharing economy reputation? Why is everything siloed? Why is everything under the control of corporate? You know, ultimately vendor locked and ultimately cost uh, both for the individuals and for the corporations quite a bit of money and vendor locking fees, right? So that's that's what it's about, liberating, if you will, objects and, and giving them a, a sense of identity in order to, to create a, a machine economy that's more optimal and therefore, you know, pass on the savings to the consumers. I have to say that is amazing. And how is the uptake going? I mean, are you still in the creation stage or is it being used currently? I mean, where, where are you with that project? Where has that project gotten to? Right. So I, uh, earlier I mentioned as I left it, and that's because I left Slocket uh, in, uh, well, a couple of months ago, actually. That's probably going to be breaking news for your podcast because we they haven't announced it yet. But I left to create, obviously, Atlas Noya. I think a lot of people in the industry know that I left to focus on, on my own initiatives. Uh, but as I left it, yes, uh, people were indeed very interested, even large companies, even, you know, existing sharing economy providers were definitely interested in that because for them, instead of seeing it as a threat and as a competition, I think they understand that decentralization is ultimately inevitable and they kind of have to cover their backs, if you will, and, and, and buy this sort of life insurance, right? In case, in case blockchain does happen to the scale that we expect it to be, but they may not, um, you know, they need to protect themselves by investing in blockchain technology. So yeah, uh, very well, actually. I think it was very well received, this project. And we actually deployed a few live implementation of a technology, for example, a few people don't know this, and I mean, quite a few people don't know this. It's a shame because uh, we had um, a project called um, Share and Charge. So if you go on shareandcharge.com, you'll find it. It's essentially in Germany, we enable charging stations for electric vehicles to be rented by well, just about anyone who has access to a cell phone and an Ethereum wallet, but we give them the wallet, so they automatically have it. And the beauty of it is that it allows people that have the electric charging stations to rent them, make money, repay for their investment. That obviously creates more charging stations. It was in Germany, so in Germany, which means more people are likely to purchase an electric vehicle because now they're no longer limited by you know the distance between the charging points, right? Um, so it's ultimately good for the planet as well, which is lovely. And that's a real app. It works. And you probably never heard of it because there was no ICO. It's 
it's just uh, using the technology, right? Um, mm. I don't know if it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. It just is, I suppose. But the reality is if you don't have an ICO, very few people will know about you. Even though this project has thousands of users, dozens of thousands of electric charging stations in Germany right now running Ethereum for real, no one talks about it. It's, 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 it rather blows my mind, you know, but that's okay. I think it's a matter of time till things starts to sort of so where did I, what, what was it called again? I, 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 try, I try to keep up with you and write that down at the same time for the, mm-hmm. for the website. It's a share, share and charge, so exactly as it's spelled. Um, I'm, I think it's a .com. might be a .de because we were based in Germany, obviously, and our client was German. It's Energy um, Innovation Labs, which is part of um, uh, RWE Energy, also known as Empower in the UK. Yeah, yeah, very large. So, look, I mean, that's 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 some of the things that, like, a lot of the projects that don't have ICOs. ICOs are a great way of creating awareness, mm-hmm. as you quite rightly put. It gives you a nice totally. big marketing budget as well. But often we, you know, we see tokens out there that have got these massive, massive market caps, but actually don't bloody well do anything. Uh, and it's, right. it takes a bit of time often to go through. And it's, it's about listening to podcasts like this, listening to people such as yourself and other guests that I have as well, and also across other various. Uh, media outlets mm-hmm. uh, in this space to try and pick up on who's doing what and what's actually working. Because I think a lot of people forget right. about the, the fact that, that everyone focuses on the token. They don't often think too right. much about the business. Well, the token yeah. is there, but if the business doesn't have any job to do, then what's the point? Where's the value? I think that's an area well, that's yes. lacking at the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're, you're 200% right. I mean, I think people simply forget that a token sale is essentially raising debt right? So when people say, oh, look at me, it's wonderful. I raised, I don't know, $150 million. Uh, yeah, you're $150 million in debt. You have to repay this. This isn't free money to buy, like you mentioned earlier, Lambos on Mars or Moon <laughs> or whatever is popular these days. Um, you know, the reality is you have a duty to your shareholders and investors, because let's face it, this is all securities, right? It's, there's no point trying to hide from that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, you know, you have a duty to your to your investors and your shareholders, in this case, your token holders, to repay them. And then hopefully there's an expectation that they will make a profit, right? Or else they wouldn't buy the, the, the tokens, would they? Uh, now, there's exception to this, obviously, in the context of, say, charities or fully decentralized projects, but they're few and far between, and I know very few of them. And usually people, well, again, haven't heard about them because there's no means of getting rich quick, right? So it's not very, uh, you know, it doesn't really capture the attention of the public. But that's a shame because usually they're usually technically more advanced than the stuff that capture a lot of tension. And I think earlier you mentioned also, you know, how was it at Ethereum at the very beginning? Now we had talked a lot about the importance of um, decentralized um, uh, pardon me, just a bit of background noise here. We had, uh, talked a lot about the importance of uh, uh, decentralized crowdfunding um, at Ethereum or, or people building that on top of Ethereum. And obviously tokens and ERC-20 type standards, that was critical to, to what we wanted to achieve. But it was supposed to be open. It was supposed to be transparent. Remember, the beauty of the blockchain, contrary to, say, uh, a SQL server, is that it's open to everyone. Everyone can see where the money went. What was it used for? I think that's really cool. You know, if you put money into a company, you want to know where the money goes and not on silly things, but useful things for the business. Um, within reason, of course, because if you have to write down every single sandwich that you purchase, then I imagine uh, <laughs> people might not, might not really follow why it's necessary and they might criticize things because they have a lack of understanding of the business world in the first place. But that said, transparency is key. And I think that's completely, completely lacking right now. I mean, it's, it's appalling, to be honest. Uh, sometimes I think... Yes. Uh, you'll find a lot of the old timers and it's starting to feel a bit like dinosaurs at the time, you know, uh, sort of scratching their heads or putting their their hands on their face, getting like, oh my God, what is this? Because it just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, quite frankly, sometimes it's completely meaningless, you know. Uh, and, and, and this is going to change. This is going to change because you nailed it. It's uh, ultimately, it comes back to profit. So I think someone, and uh, again, maybe that figure may be incorrect, but that someone is pretty well known and uh, told me that it was 60% failure rate on the totality of ICOs to date on the Ethereum network, meaning that so far 60% of all ICOs have failed and, and lost everything, right? Um, wow. Now, that's not bad compared to, you know, traditional VC world where no, you know, it's closer to 90%, yeah. right? Yeah, it's still but good. We're gonna get, 
<laughs> but we're going to get there because it's the nature of it, right? You're, you're building businesses. And I think another thing that really grinds my gear is why is it important? Why does it even matter that your product uses blockchain? That reminds me a lot of the, the very, um, you know, sort of well-intentioned, but, but grossly um, uh, sort of mistaken approach that, that Rails back in the day had of telling their developers, hey, guys, when you build a site with this technology called Rails, which is like a competitor to say uh, PHP, right? It's a middleware layer. Yep. You have to put a little, a little logo, right? A little, you know, a little train, and it says "built with Rails," as if my mother cared okay. if this website was built with Rails. Who cares, right? It's it's more like, does the site work? Is it fast? Does it make me happy? Does it provide me with I don't know some sense of accomplishment? Is it cheaper, faster, better? That's what I want to know about as a consumer, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's also I think you're gonna I think if a, a, an easy prediction to make is that you know five years down the line I think people will be like oh yeah it's blockchain but they they won't really care that much and people will just be arbitrated. Now the question is have the have the developer has the developer really leveraged the opportunity of blockchain to pass on value to the end users and make them benefit from the technology? That's the real question. Yeah, I mean, look, there's so many different areas in this space where I see uh, execution being, you, you look at some of these teams and you go, how can they execute? Like, these are not the... It's not, it's, not, it's not the age barrier either, because I know that Ethereum was created from no. a very young age. Of very, it's, it's got nothing to yeah, do Vitalik with the age. Yeah, was 19, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to do with the age. I mean, let's be honest. Vitalik is, is a bit of a freak of nature in the sense that he, he's kind mm. of a... Uh, obviously, he knows what he's doing. He is very, very good at it. Uh, he's managed to sail this ship in the right direction, keep it on the right course. Now, most 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds are not in that sort of positions. All right? there's, there's not many people that can claim that they're on the same sort of level as uh, as Vitalik is. Now, saying that, so I don't shy away from age is what I'm trying to get at. But in the same respect, I also want to see what have they Done. If you're going to have a 19 year old running one, like doing an ICO, running a big project, that 19 year old better have a bloody good reason for being in the position that he's in. Not just because he's an entrepreneur and he's got there. Good on him for doing that. I'm talking about execution. Mm. What real world business experience has this team got? What 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 uh, group of net? Like, what's the network of this individual? Does does this person's network? leverage or give them the opportunity to leverage that network to help to create this project and this ecosystem for which this yeah. token or business can actually flourish within and i think that just because you're young and you're in blockchain sure it's sexy sure it's fun and sure you know the right people can do it but does that mean they can execute the plan of the business are they going to get bored and jump off to the next subject are they going to jump on to the next that's project right. are we going to see this actually be followed through with and that's where a little bit of nerves come in for me when i'm looking at teams when they are younger nothing no ageism from me don't get me wrong yeah but i want to see you can execute so look coming from that because i point. am mindful of your time there um I want to talk about what I see as your next frontier and something that I am very right. interested to learn more about. I mean, I've said that about all the topics because, to God honest truth, is I'm bloody interested in what you're doing, all right? <laughs> um, this this new project that you're working with now, Atlas uh, New Yeah. I'm sorry if yeah. I've pronounced that incorrectly. New Yeah. New yeah. That's but, quite all right. So I, I want to know what it's about. I mean, look, it, it, it kind of reads it a little bit like an incubator. There's not that much information mm -hmm. I could find. I mean, yeah. Tell us more about it. I do that on purpose, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, we, we like to keep the mystery. Um, <laughs> no, in a, in a nutshell, it, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, really, the, the concept behind it is to simply leverage, you know, the incredibly uh, special and unique position I'm in, you know, being connected to the community, have running the largest Ethereum meetup in the world, Ethereum London. We have now 7,200 members, and pretty much every meetup is now a mini conference, right? Wow. Um to, to, to explore what can be done in the space and obviously invest in very early stage pros, projects. And by very early stage, I, I do mean very early stage. I mean, people that I, I, I can tell from my experience will have an impact in the blockchain space, but maybe not this year, maybe not the next, maybe three years down the line, things that are not even near the point where they could even claim to want to do an ICO, right? Um, so that's one of the things we do. Obviously, we do a lot of things around events and so on. And and we have in mind to build a, a couple of uh, um, very, very large scale projects with, you know, the help of, of very senior people that I was very lucky to meet my, in my time at Ethereum and at Slocket. So it's about leveraging that. One of those projects, um, I, th I think without saying the names of the people behind it, um, we're one is called Diodens, and I think you'd enjoy that one because essentially the idea is to take sort of what I was doing at Slocket, remember, associating smart contract code to machine to give them a voice and identity, yes. the capacity to transact, 
but do that for natural resources. Um, that's actually a very interesting market um, because uh, you have, for example, moraines in, in, in Canada, which are essentially um, old glacier, right? So it's like uh, sand, crust sand, and it's, it's, it's used as a filter, really, by Mother Nature to provide, um, or Oak Ridge uh, Moraine, for example, provides 600,000 people with drinking potable water. Um, and therefore, you know, you can't quite even put a price on the value of this, yeah. this particular uh, resource. And um, who does it belong to? Does it belong to the government? Does it belong to the people? Does it belong to a corporation? If you're a corporation and you pollute it, is it okay to externalize what they call internalized externalities, you know, essentially paying fines in advance because you know you're going to pollute it and, and you want to contribute towards its development probably because you're forced by some sort of flow. I think that system at this stands is, is pretty limited. In fact, I did a bit of research on that and I found out that so far on earth there's only one natural resource that owns itself it's a tree <laughs> in america it's called the tree that owns itself I saw that. <laughs> yeah and it's going really insane right but it, it's sort of it's sort of when i discovered that i was like oh my god it's weird and i i hooked up with my friend uh, carl schroeder who's a, a winning um a sci-fi uh, writer but also a, a very big visionary and i think some of his books sort of almost predicted ethereum or certainly got really close wow. um and and you know the idea is well you know you associate a smart contract to this moraine and now all of a sudden the moraine when it's getting polluted it can act so there's various ways to do this wow. um, you could have a network of sensors completely decentralized lots of sensors lots of them in the water temperature pollution this and that um and and take action based on this oh i'm being polluted okay by whom okay well let's charge them something and so on or let's sue them or let's incentivize my shareholders to do something about it let's warn them about it so they have they, they fall under active management potentially of the same people that benefit from the, the resources they provide so it could be the very same people that get the natural uh, water um, to their you know in their taps that could be very well invested in that natural resource um, and it's very interesting because I feel like a lot of governments uh, well I know that a lot of governments are actually quite keen on exploring the potential to privatize or I should say maybe to maybe it's a weird mix of pri privatization and putting it back into the public if you will uh, hence blockchain um, and 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 you know, sort of not having to deal with this and save quite a bit of money in the process. And on the flip side, end users will benefit from obviously protecting the natural resources a lot more effectively um, with, you know, all the benefits of blockchain. So you have governance, you have immutability, you have transparency, you see what's happened to that river or that moraine or that lake or that tree or even a flock of whale, right? You can see exactly what's happened to it um, and people can take actions on it. So essentially, it's about creating sort of weak AI from a, a, a software Software system, if you will, and strong AI by reusing human intelligence, uh, Amazon Mechanical Turk style, to protect natural resources. And obviously, it's a very, very large-scale project. We're incredibly yeah. lucky to to have contacts at the UNESCO, and um, uh, you know, the type of people that if you ask for a satellite because you need to measure, you know, deforestation rates uh, over a certain zip code, yeah. they they tell you, yeah, it's no problem. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Man, I mean, look, it, 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 look, what I love about what you just said there is it, the two things that I'm really, truly passionate about. One is investing in people. So you said that you know with yeah. with uh, Atlas New Year, you're, you're looking at you know people that that are going to do have a positive impact on the space. They might not be ready right now. It might be years till they're ready for an ICO. But you're right. investing in the right people, and also the fact that you're blue sky thinking. Blue sky thinking is a wonderful thing. It's even more wonderful if this blue sky thinking has a reason to exist, has a positive outcome on our environment. The third thing I want to say is if you work out how to do that, or more so, I believe in you, man, when you work out how to do that, can you please come and fix our Great Barrier Reef? Because it is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen on Earth. I've spent a lot of time snorkeling and diving around it and fishing it. And I'll tell you what, we, the Australian government and what's going on there, we are trying our best to wreck one of the wonders of the world. And I want my young daughters to be able to have their children there, you know, yeah. 
with I want to be there with my grandkids and and their grandkids. Yeah. I want it to exist. And until we make some changes, and this is another thing I'm really passionate about blockchain and and the people within it because they're not just out for money. They truly want to change the world. You've demonstrated that Ethereum is is on the the stepping stones to creating something truly remarkable. It already has the ecosystems, mm-hmm. the the businesses, the, the the way of thinking that is being fueled by this blockchain. I mean, whether it's the blockchain that makes people think a certain way because they get so creative or creative people come to this space. I really don't know, but I'm so passionate mm. about that. And what you've just said, it's really hit a nerve with me. And I wish you the absolute best of luck with that project. I think you'll do oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, and, and well, you, you nailed it when you said yeah. you know, uh, uh, about your children, investing in, in the future and investing in your children. A lot of people say that. Actually, it's a common um uh, a common thing to say for people say, you know, I have two kids myself, as you know, uh, they're pretty big. Now they're 18 and, and 23. Um, they're going to college and so on. But a lot of people say, well, you know, I've I spent X hundred thousand on this, this uh, you know, really incredible university, right, for my ch- children. Um, mine aren't so lucky, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some people do. And they say, well, I've invested in my children, right? That's what they say. I've invested in my children. They say, it's an investment. But you know that the returns on investment that you're going to get out of this, obviously, it's the satisfaction knowing that your children will, uh, you know, maybe have a better education, a better chance at life. And in the case of protecting the environment, well, they'll have a chance to enjoy the resources that, you know, you'll, we'll leave, we'll leave collectively yeah. behind, right? Um, and that, that's really important. Um, and that's a very good way to, uh, yeah, to validate, in my opinion, the, the need for something like that. Not to mention, I think it links back to also what you were saying earlier, there's also a fair chance that some, not all, of course, but some of those natural resources can be productive. They can, and sometimes they're actually left uh, completely unused. Um, they just sit there. Uh, not being destroyed, not being exploited, nothing. And so maybe there's a way to, you know, find a way to exploit them in a way that's reasonable um, and and over time uh, won't necessarily, you know, create lasting damage. Yeah. Um, so I think that's quite interesting because it could actually not only be investing your children, but also getting a, a return on investment for that. So it's the best of both worlds. Well, I, I, I certainly hope it'll turn out that way. Yeah, well, like we were saying before, you know, it's you know, it's about a win-win. Let's change the world and make a buck at the same time, make our lives day-to-day a bit easier, but also make sure that there's a life for our children and our children's children to enjoy if you come the day that that occurs. So what was it called? D- Dio Dance. Is that what you said? Yeah, I've, um, I will send you the. Uh, yeah. I have sent you the link. Oh, on you the, have. Thanks. Oh, you paste it. Now, look, we, I do. I know you've got a meeting to get into, mate. I do have to ask this question. Mm-hmm. It is so topical right now. Obviously, today with Ethereum and the SEC talking about whether or not it's going to be classed as a security or not. You did say before that. Let's face it. Most mm-hmm. of these ICOs are securities. Where do you sit on this table right now? Where are you on the side of the yes, it's a security, or no, it's not with the SEC? And what do you think the ruling will come out with today? Right, no, it's it's actually um, a lot more straightforward than people make out make it out to be, to be honest. Um, so obviously, it depends entirely on your jurisdiction. But if you take, for example, the United States, which has a very clear um, test, it's called the Howey test on what is deci- defined as a security or not. It's essentially three questions, and it's something along the lines of: Is there an expectation of returns? Is it the product of a common enterprise? You know that kind of stuff. And it's really easy, you know, whether it is or not. And people were trying to. I generally do not understand why, when you provide a service, a token, which essentially will provide. Uh, well, return on investment <laughs> sometimes is the point. Why don't you just register it with the SEC? I mean, this ICO, like you said earlier, you know, Ethereum raised $18.2 million. Now this ICO raised $150 million. Mm. They could easily afford yeah. the fee of registering with the SEC and say, yeah, it is a security. That's the whole point. Um, now, not all of them are. Of course, I can think of several examples, like, for example, uh, charity DAOs. This is a very common thing now. This projects like Giveth, Alice.si, uh, the charity DAO itself. This is five or six like that. Well, I think these obviously would be classified more as charities. I'm not a lawyer, but I imagine there's no expectation of return. So evidently, it's not a security. Um, they might have some voting rights, so they would have to be careful with that. But obviously, you know, they can have it checked by lawyers. I think they'll be okay. But when you actually outright go on stage and say, well, you know, if you invest in my project, yeah. you know, using 
using the word invest and then say you will benefit from it because if the project makes money, it's decentralized, it will redistribute to the owners of the token. That is clearly, at least under US law, maybe not all, but under US law is clearly security. As, as for where I stand on this, well, actually it's funny you mentioned because I'm, I'm uh, getting very much active in the space here in England and um, trying to reach uh, out and working with the FCA, in fact, to um, to establish exactly what a, a token uh, security could look like. Because I'm on the flip side of that. I have the opposite problem. A lot of people are trying to avoid, you know, all the registration issue and the fees and the tax and so on by saying we're not securities, we're utilities, da, da, da. Um, I'm actually trying to figure out what would it take for a token to be really determined as a security officially by the government in order for it to be recognized as such, which opens tons of doors, especially when it comes to legit crowdfunding, institutional investing and so on. Um, so I think it's going to be a combined effort. And I was just talking about that with one of my colleagues this morning. Uh, I think, you know, blockchain is about choice. Ethereum is about choice. If you, if you want to build a smart contract that provides services to individuals, but does not include, say, typical customer protection schemes, you can. Just don't, don't write it. Simple as that. If you want to integrate them, you're not stopped from doing so. You can easily integrate it as well. That's, it's a programming language. That's all it is. Um, so just like any programming language, anything is possible. You can model any legal or illegal framework that you see fit. After that, it's up to you as to what you want to use it for. If it's just between you and your friends, I imagine that some falls under some sort of derogation. If it's, you know, mass marketing to hundreds of millions of individuals, it's a whole different ballgame. So I'm pretty, you know, I think as long as people retain the right and the possibility to keep their funds anonymous and sort of the purity of this idea of the blockchain where there is no red list, where there is no uh, sort of uh, common and control from a centralized entity, as long as it's truly decentralized and the people vote on what it's supposed to be and when they're when in strong disagreement have the option to fork, um, you know, I'm willing for just about anything going on the network. But when it comes to you know, um, going on the market and then evidently declaring securities, I think you should do the right thing and declare them as such. I mean, it, it seems logical. It probably will save you a lot of time, uh, a lot of money long term, um, because we haven't seen the beginning of this. You know, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, the SEC, I think it's five years before they can turn around and yeah. say there was a huge problem here and, and seize all the assets and so yeah. on. Imagine if one of those projects, God forbid, you know, the very large ones that have raised hundreds of, hundreds of millions and so on, um, you know, turn out to actually be good products, but also then have to be shut down because they didn't do their homework legally. That's that's a real it shame. Would, it would be a real shame. A real shame, I guess. So, so Ethereum, are we talking about this being uh, a security? Yes. I think Ethereum is, uh, is, is an interesting one because, um, you know, we spent, I think at the time, nine months. Um, if you remember, it was from January, to, January the 31st, 2014 was supposed to be the ICO. That's when Vitalik Buterin went to uh, BTC Miami and wanted to announce the token sale. Um, and then we decided not to, and we took nine months to, well, build the product, which was really helpful, actually, for, for proving that we had the capability to deliver. And also to look at it from a legal standpoint, getting the right um, uh, opinion letters from lawyers in the US and, and uh, elsewhere. I think we also had a bunch in, in Europe. Um, and at the time, it it was deemed not to be a security by said lawyers. Now, whether or not that needs to be reconsidered, I don't know. Um, you know, and, and again, opinion letters, to be honest, if if the audience here is thinking about getting one, thinking it's this sort of, you know, holy grail that will protect them. No, absolutely not. It's just an opinion. In fact, at the end of your opinion letter, which you'll pay a lot of money for, it'll say at the very bottom in tiny letters, this is just an opinion. Yeah. It's not real until it goes to court. And as far as I know, I could be wrong. Some people know more about this than I do. As far as I know, no one actually went to court because not only would you have to go to court but you would have to have the party that's been brought to court to fight and i'm told that in the traditional world this is very rare it's incredibly rare in fact um and so it might take a while before we see a, a definitive answer on this and i think that's why a healthier approach rather than you know hoping that the other guy is going to get sued and then you'll get your answer i think the right approach is to simply approach the regulator and say this is what i want to do this is how it works is it a security yes or no and if they say yes it is well then register it i mean what is the problem i don't i don't get it i mean i i get it they don't they want to be able to raise funds from all across the planet not just say the uk right um i think that's greed to be honest you don't need you know 200 million dollars to build a, a dab that yeah. does i don't know decentralized facebook right? you don't need that much money right 
I think I think smaller amounts would be do, doing just as well, to be honest. I think being proactive in just about any line of uh, any line of business is a lot better than being reactive. I mean, if we're proactive and we try and right. get ahead, and I think a lot of a lot of people in the space at the moment are in such a rush. They think that it's all going to be gone tomorrow, and if they don't move now, then they'll they'll miss out. Oh, you nailed it. All this sort of thing, and if, if the projects that actually slow down, take their time, and just sort of go, look, look we just want to do this right. If it's going to take us six months longer, then eh, it's going to take that much longer. But we're going to be ready. People are so concerned about the race that they're actually forgetting about the finish line. All you've got to do, I mean, Branson said, yep. all you've got to do is be one or two percent better than your competitor, and you're the, you are the best. And people are forgetting about that. They're yep. losing sight of that. They're just running in. Completely, I, I, you're so spot on. You're so spot on both on both sides. You know, on the entrepreneur side, they're thinking. Oh, well, the free money is almost gone. Let's face it. I've heard it said in conferences. So yeah. I know people think like that, even though they might not admit to. Uh, they're very worried about this. Um, that's nonsense. We're at the very beginning. It hasn't even started yet. You know, I always call it the, the pre-Cambrian age of, uh, of, the, of the blockchain because the fishes don't have legs, right? They're still, <laughs> they're still in the water. They haven't even learned how to, to walk, right? Um, and on the uh, end user side, and I think that's actually more understandable and, and because obviously there's not the same there's not the same expectation of technical knowledge on the user side of course that's that's very understandable but there is also that sense and i've met several people saying oh do you think i should buy this do you think i should that i don't know i mean how much risk are you willing to expose yourself to this stuff is incredibly volatile and we've seen that in december when the price went went up like crazy god knows why and obviously as soon as it dipped a little bit oh did we have a big panic on our hands here because people are not used to this like i've you know having to tell your wife hey you know that house i just remortgaged i just lost half of it it's pretty bad news um, and so uh, yeah this too much of a rush. Absolutely right. This is too much of a rush. You know, and I think we can summarize it like that. And I'll finish with this. I think actually, um, you know, people are currently completely overestimating the short-term potential of blockchain, meaning ICO speculation, tokens, da da da, and underestimating the long-term potential of this technology. You know, what it looks like in twenty years down the line when it's the new internet, and you know, when we talk about billions today, we'll look back on it and think, well, it's minuscule. You know, now we're talking trillions. You know, and so that's something to look forward. To. And, and certainly people shouldn't feel like they've missed the boat on both sides. I think they should, if anything, like you said, it's all about execution. If you see a blockchain company that already does something that you want to do, well, do it anyway, because odds are they're, they're going to fail on execution anyway, just like in the real world. Well, I think you've nailed that right there on the head. I mean, another little business lesson I got along the way was that most people overestimate what they can achieve in one year and underestimate what they can achieve in 10. And we're seeing it again in this space. We see it day in and day out. The old age old entrepreneurial and business lessons coming back back to rule the roost once more, even in this mm. most exciting of technologies, which is blockchain and crypto assets. Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the TraderCobb Crypto Show Thank today. You. I could talk to you underwater with a, with a mouthful of fish. It's, uh, it's been a really enjoyable conversation. <laughs> and uh, look, um, where do the people find more about you if they want to find more about your project? I know there's not a great deal out there on Atlas New Year. There's nothing on the website. <laughs> it's just, well, I, I suppose Twitter, you know, Twitter is what I use to communicate cool things I, I find. Uh, so it's uh, at Stefan Tiol in one word. Or uh, if they're in London, the meetup is great. It's actually a good place to meet people. And, and we have great speakers. We we have pretty much the whole um, you know elite, so to speak, of, uh, I'm not sure if I like this word, but of Ethereum that, that, that came there, you know, whether it's Gavin or Vitalik was there, Alex van de Sande, the, the designer of Mist, Vlad Zemfir, the designer of the Proof of Stake algorithm. Everyone spoke there and they continue to do so. There's a YouTube channel people can check out. All the videos are free. You know, it's all educational stuff. So, yeah, have a look at that. It could be fun. Well, I'll tell you what, if there's any chance that you need somebody like myself up there to present, talk, host, MC, or anything like that, Pleasure. I'd be more than happy to jump on a flight over to London and visit my old hometown, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Awesome. Um, if there's anything so I much. can do to help, if if, uh, if you want to throw out the show across Twitter so more people can hear it, that's going to help me, and I'd really appreciate <laughs> that, mate. I've really enjoyed having the conversation with you. Thank you so much, Stefan, Jewel, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you in, in the future. Thank you. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Check out TraderCobb.com because experience matters. This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. 
You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. CoinSpot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Views are of the advertiser, not TraderCobb or the audio presenter.